0: Ready? Three, two, one.
1: Welcome back to episode five of Artist's Impressions. This week, I'm lucky to be joined by singer, songwriter and playwright Eve Simpson. And today is a really big day for you because it's four years since the release of your first EP. So congratulations and welcome. How are you?
2: Oh, thank you, Laura, for picking up on that. That's so sweet. Um, I'm good. Yeah, I'm really good. I'm in amongst lots of essay stress. But it's a lovely, crisp winter's day um, and I've got a cup of tea. And I'm talking to you about wonderful things, so I'm really good. (laughs) How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yeah,
1: same, the sunshine has improved my day as well. So your music, lyrically, it covers really wide themes of love and feminism and friendship and austerity and youthfulness, and much of it has quite a folky style. Um, I was wondering how you would describe your music.
2: Yeah, so I think it's gone through so many changes over the past Few well, four years really. Um, I suppose four years ago, um, when I was how old 17, it was very much, um, I use like my music as a chance to be heard. Um, yeah, like I was, I wasn't like a quiet teen or anything like that, but I found it. I've always found it incredibly hard to say how I feel in any scenario. Um so yeah. music and songwriting was literally my medium of doing that and kind of the only outlet for me to do that. So I think at that time it was it was very um observational and politically engaged as to what was literally going to like I could see going on around in my community. Um and then on the other side of that it was very sort of introspective of oh what are these feelings I'm feeling for the first time um it's what it's like being a woman as well like why am I why am I feeling like this in this scenario let's think about this scenario a little bit more it was like the first times for everything um so that's I'm very sort of protective over that first DP because it's very yeah. raw in my first engagements with um sort of like social inequality like seeing it around us um you know experiencing probably forms of discrimination as a woman um Mm. and also just experiencing feelings of of first love and um I don't know like the kind of how that forces you to critique your own self when you're that young too um so yeah that's probably I've gone from sort of that starting point to where I am now which is very I've like gone through this transition of being like 18 to now being 21 and I think that covers so much and I think yeah. that age difference is very rarely talked about in how how much you mature how much you grow up um like i I'd, I'd I don't know about anyone else but when I was 18, 19 I felt like I was so grown up and I I knew everything that could possibly happen in the world and I was ready for anything <laughs> and I'm I'm 21 <laughs> and I'm like oh <laughs> I feel so young. <laughs> um so I think now I'm very much sort of um I'm going through like a new sort of development in my relationship with my own songwriting and that it's very much like <sighs> It's it's much more. I don't want to say the word nuanced reference in songwriting, but it is like I take more time to really commit myself to a point of view in a song. I take more time over my own feelings, or give them more time, or sit with them just because of experience. Um, So I think there has been such a big shift in how I write. The topics may be quite similar, but they're just delivered in a more, I don't know, in a 21-year-old Evo. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. guess. it's all, yeah. I think it's generally just all about time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: You wrote those songs at such a young age, and particularly the ones about love and friendship. What does it feel like to listen back to your younger self, thinking about those things that are now sort of very much in the past for you?
2: Yeah, I think I tend to like, I, I've only like listened to one of the songs from that EP today, just because it literally came on as I was sharing yeah. it um i suppose i probably listened to the singles that i released um when i was uh, nine, 18 and 19 more which is gloria i'm home in high mountains and when i yeah. listen back on them i kind of taken aback by how bold i am mm. and i i kind of feel a little bit of nostalgia for i don't know that the youthfulness that you have to just say exactly how you're feeling sometimes I think as we um yeah, get, as yeah. we get a bit older we become a bit more guarded in how bold yeah. we are. I I think I yeah. certainly have <laughs> anyway. Um so I guess when I listen back to them I'm like god. Yeah. I would like to return to how um bold I was <laughs> in my commentary yeah. on something very personal and I, I hopefully like hide it well enough that it's it respects anyone who it's about enough as well. Um but I I do kind of admire that. But the reason why I did that as well is because I I didn't have an outlet at the time to say these things. Yeah. That was my way of saying those things for the first time. Um, I remember yeah. High Mountains. I was literally saying um some of those lines for the first time in the recording studio. Um, so it like songwriting very much used to be and still is to a certain degree. Uh, how do I feel about something wow okay I've just I've just signed a line that's how I feel about it and that was the first time I thought yeah. about it so I think the rawness is something I admire um and would like to keep as much as I can I think
1: yeah and it's so lovely that you've got them recorded because most of us are our sort of teenage thoughts have dissipated and you've got them distilled forever which is lovely
2: yeah, um, I th- that was like one of the big reasons why I decided to. Obviously, I had the opportunity to do the EP in the first place. Mm-hmm. But another another reason on top of that was because I wanted to sort of, like, conceptualize that moment in my life, and yeah. I was lucky enough to be able to do it in in an extended player form. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I think that's I kind of want to keep doing that if I can, and sort of the accessibility of recording on your laptop nowadays and how much I'm learning and want to learn more with doing that will make it much easier to sort of document my life in that way, even more so than yeah. it was four years ago. So yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and have you always been singing and making music? Have you always been a musical child?
2: Uh I always sort of sang. Um so like no one in my immediate family is is musical. Like they can a lot like my dad's side of the family can sing. Um, mm. And my granddad took up the saxophone a few years ago. Um, but no one's, like, sort of... M- music's been in the family because it's been played on the radio and people have, yeah. I don't know, sang at the match. Or, <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> so <I> we
2: <always laughs> sang, like, Christmas carols together or, or something like that. But it's not been a, like, a, um, I don't know, a set thing. Um, so I've always sang, but um, I actually think my love of writing I don't really it was again I think just as a child a way to just escape into my own world and express myself um that's literally all it was um and then combining music with poetry I suppose was just kind of like an awakening when I was 13 that oh my god two of the things I love most in the world I can just put together um so so yeah it was just it was something that very naturally happened um and I, I don't think I can, I don't know, go into it more than that, really. I think that's all it really was.
1: Um, And so from you being in your little world to performing, I know you love performing. And there's a line in Gloria, I'm Home that says you went on the road. Is that referring to you going travelling? Or is that, did you tour your music? You must miss performing. T- talk to me about.
2: Yeah, oh. so that line was in reference to a summer tour, that I did with um a band I was in when I was between the ages of 16 and 19. Um it was a band called Super Focus and it was put together by um a Northeast musician called Catherine Tickell. and it was through like um it was kind of an extension of her folk youth art scheme. That is definitely not the right word for the amazing thing that she set up. <laughs> so probably just doing a massive disser- uh, disservice, but it was like sort of a, um, an extension of that. And it was like six of us who um, got approached to be in this band and it was basically a mentoring scheme um, to play professionally with someone who had been doing it for a while and really, really knew their stuff and develop our own skills at the same time. Um, And it was like an accessible scheme as well. So it didn't, it it was like financially accessible and it was only going to benefit us really. Um, So I was was massively fortunate to be involved in that and that I went on the road was referenced to me going away. Um, And I, I suppose I mentioned that because I was away from like my, it was like my last year of sixth form and I kind of like lived a very, like different life from then, and that my it was centered around doing gigs, and suddenly I was able to um, go out, um, and after the gigs and meet loads of new people. And the whole new world sort of just got opened up, and it was really incredible and such a great experience to have so young. Um, but on the flip side of that, it meant um, relationships at school in my last year six, one in particular, were very difficult to sort of navigate and maintain. Just because I was just doing something completely different. Um, so that's what that line um is about. Um and then yeah, before oh, I do really miss performing. I have like such a up and down relationship with doing gigs by myself. I get very, very nervous. <laughs> um and have probably suffered with stage fright and not really realised it's that ever since I can remember. Right. Um And some get like a lot of, I think a lot of people have this as well. But I will be on stage doing a gig and I can completely forget about everything and it's amazing, or I can do a gig the next day and literally hear everything that's wrong with every song. So it's kind of like an up and down battle gigs for me, um, which is why I made the change when I like took a year off before, like after six when we going to uni, and I did quite a few gigs during then. I gigged with two of my best pals and that made such a difference to all of that. Um, so I, I massively missed that. Um, and I suppose I miss, the, I miss open mics and buskers nights probably more than a formal gig because they yeah. were just a chance for me to see if a song I'd written could be put together. <laughs> um, and I used to do them so, so much when I was like, that's how I started out, like 13, 14, just going to open mics or... I suppose I miss that spontaneity of, I don't want to do this tonight, I'm going to go and listen to so many people being creative and... Yeah, that's my favorite thing about performing, I think the spontaneity of it sometimes in certain environments.
1: I know you've been working on some music recently and you're ready to record a new EP when you're able to. Did you write that during lockdown or is that is it a combination of sort of years worth of work? Can you tell me about your new EP and what's inspired you?
2: Yeah, of course. So, I am um, I didn't really write a lot the, my first two years of university, so I'm in my third year now. Um, And I suppose when uh, we all sort of, well, university shut in March, I was fortunate enough I could go back home. Um, So it just, I kind of just was presented with a lot of time and stillness, I think, like a lot of people. Um, And I just, it's just my natural thing to turn towards my guitar whenever I'm presented with a moment like that. Um, And I I wrote an album um, in the bathroom. Over probably about over in like the space of a few weeks and it was literally just an outpouring of everything over the past few years um I think so much like uh university can be so busy and it's such a different environment and again I keep referencing age but I don't know being at home full-time being 21 was completely different to being 18 and at ho- and uh, working full-time but still living at home so it was just a massive, I think, who am I now? What have I learned? Um, what have I been through that, that I, th- I thought I'd been through everything, apparently, at 18? <laughs> but what additional things have happened? Um, and it was such a selfish, self-centric mindset I got myself in, but it was just inherently reflective of everything, especially with the conditions that we were all faced with. It was again a lot of what is included in that album is like a commentary on of probably of the of the time and what we were going through sort of March, April, May, June and um, like in the original recordings you can literally hear my mum opening the door to a neighbour who had made us garden furniture and you can hear that whole conversation going on and it's just lovely um like i've i've secretly recorded our lockdown basically <laughs> um so yeah that was really nice and then obviously like obviously um coming back up um i didn't want to just abandon it all like i've got 12 tracks done they're not produced or anything they're just uh, rough takes um and i've started a little mini project in my in my room in edinburgh all about first takes of things um and I've I've started them on my um just I just record them with my little mic and then I just pop them on my Instagram stories um just to hold myself accountable to like documenting my time at university because I haven't done yeah. it. Um and then I got talking to one of my friends who lives in Glasgow and we're gonna um we were meant to be recording um about six tracks to make basically I want to make the album into a like sort of extended EP yeah. Um, about six tracks, and that was due to be recorded next week and the week after. But obviously, Glasgow's now on lockdown, um. So that's been postponed to the new year. So they will, I will record them in some format very soon. Um, but yeah, again, like I, I don't necessarily, I don't want necessarily look to release it with an aim of sort of advancing any solo career or or anything like that I I literally do it as sort of little pockets of my life um and just again just keeping that thread running of it's my space to say what I want to say yeah um so yeah that's kind of it all in a nutshell oh and what what's it about um (laughs) I suppose it's very much about um like uh, I suppose very basically who I am now um the developments of relationships that I've been through, um, and it's got a big sense of stuck between two places about it. Um, like I'm very attached to home, and I always will be. Um, but also, I'm attached to Edinburgh now, um, and this is this is a city. It's different. The demographic of the whole city is completely different. Um, so that's it, that's been so interesting to work into my my writing and how that compares with South Shields and yeah, what that fun place is all about. (laughs)
1: Um, and you very generously said that you will perform one of your new songs for the podcast.
2: What have you chosen to sing? Um, So I will play after I just retune my guitar, which I'll do after I shut up. Um, Mm -hmm. this is a song, um, called all her strange. Um, And I kind of, I've, like, nicknamed it in my head, (laughs) like, my little whisper song, Um, because when I was, like, 14, 15, um, and going to buskers nights and things, I used to get really anxious about how I couldn't belt, or I couldn't sing massively loud, or do any of the big, I don't know, Broadway um, finales, Um, but... I've just, as I've got older, I've realised that you don't, you can sing as quietly as you want, and that's still fine. Um, so, yeah, it's a very sort of melancholy, reflective, nostalgic song about missing Edinburgh, um, but just being in a completely different frame of mind now and wanting to not be negative anymore and really critiquing how I've maybe acted towards people in like, my actual effects on... People rather than the other way around, which I think I used to really focus on in Gloria and in High Mountains. This is very much know what part of I had to play in things, yeah. um, which was fun, <laughs>
0: terrifying.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So
2: um. Yeah, this is all her strange song into my mark.
0: <laughs> Maybe I'm a bird I keep writing about Maybe I'm obsessed with myself God Tell me is it raining really where you are I've missed the medals in my Edinburgh heart One, two, three Maybe I want children but I think I'm too young Only oh, realized my youth when I turn 21 Tell me, do you compromise your days Wishing away, but you can't change Oh, she's nothing again Writing without her pen And all her strange Just leave her be Let her be happy Let her be free Cause I've not read enough To know what to say So please don't talk Like Hemingway All these words They can't change me. I cannot change. Maybe I've done wrong by people I should have loved. Tried less to impress whatever God I thought was above. Maybe I'm growing into my own skin. I Accepting that all I want to do is sing Oh, she's off again Writing without her pen And all her strange But just leave her Let it be free. Cause I've not read enough to know what to say. So please don't talk like Hemingway. All these words sound the same, but they kinda change me. I cannot change. Tell me, is it raining where you are? I've missed the meadows in my Edinburgh heart.
1: That was beautiful. Thank you so much, Eve. Such a treat to hear that. Yeah, in a one-person concert at the moment, although <laughs> the listeners will join in. <laughs> um, oh, that was beautiful. I really know that feeling of being young and in Edinburgh and, the older you get, the younger you realise you are and the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know.
2: Yeah, I think that's literally it, and it, um, also just, like, singing it there, it also kind of touches upon, like, the imposter syndrome as well. Uh, sometimes felt at uni, um, and and sometimes I think, like, I don't, I'm not necessarily very good at, um, expressing myself when it's not in any song form or creative form. Mm. Um, and I think that's sort of touched upon in it too. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like asking everyone to stop using so many words that make me feel a bit stupid um, as well. So it's, it's also like, a, I think a bit of that is definitely crept into it. Um, and I've got nothing against Ernest Hemingway. It just sort of came out. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what you mean. <laughs> yeah let's talk
1: about how you write songs do the words come first or the tunes or is it different each time
2: yeah I suppose I'm going to be really awkward and say different each time um I tend to write them both together um because I really really try and make whatever I want to say sound like how I feel yeah um so when I sit down like for example the other night I sat down and the crags look I've my view is the crags, um, which is delightful. <laughs> they looked really moody and I was really tired, so I was a bit just like my eyes were fluttering a bit. So I was like, Oh, was that a face on the side of the crags? And it obviously wasn't, but it was just fun to play with. So then I just kind of got my guitar and wrote about faces on the side of the crags, but tried to make it sound like how it looked outside and how it how cold it felt inside um so that's yeah that's kind of how I tend to write most things I suppose at the minute I'm using lots of different tunings on the guitar Mm. which helps um lots of like open tunings just to explore like different sides of my voice um and to not necessarily push it as much because I just don't want to be doing that anymore um Mm. so I potentially start more with just little uh, riffs or um, little chord progressions and then just seeing how that feels and what can fit into it at the minute. I very rarely write lyrics and then put music to it unless it's for a play um, or a, a specific project. I very rarely selfishly write for myself like that
1: <laughs> you've said that you're not necessarily pursuing a career as a solo musician but you do seem to love your music and it's such a big part of you so I'm wondering you've written bits and pieces for theatre I'm wondering where you feel your music is taking you in the future
2: yeah I think I would love to integrate my music into a, a broader range of art forms gen- generally um specifically within theater and film, um mm-hmm. writing specifically four different storylines, four different characters, motifs composition i love I love all of that um I think the the reason why I shy away from exploring a, a career as a solo musician is probably predominantly on how I perceive Gigging and performing mm-hmm. um and how much touring um comes into that. I just don't I just don't think it is necessarily the the right route for me as a person, yeah. as who I am, in my own confidence just now. Um, but I'll definitely like still release and still gig if I want to. I just don't necessarily yeah. want the monetary pressure <laughs> of having to yeah. do that. Um but I think the way I sort of like so I definitely sort of want to work within the arts and what I've been using my writing for has been to tell stories and I love working um, with young people so like, over the summer I um, taught English as a second language um to students in China um, and I use so much music to do that um, so integrating my music within both education and I think in like community arts based forums is definitely where I'm most comfortable and I get the most joy out of doing um, and then combined with different art forms as well, such as theatre, um, to tell stories that need to be told. Um, cause yeah. I think also when you're songwriting and you only, this is for me, if I only am focusing on myself, I, I, I really question why, why I'm doing that. I always feel yeah. like I have to have a reason why I'm doing something that isn't just concentrated on me 24 7 it's good to have that a little bit but okay. i don't want i don't want my life to center around that just because of it doesn't fit me um yeah it's who if, who i am um yeah i hope that it's hope that answer your question it's hard because i really just want to be like i want to work in everything and theater and arts teaching all of it no, that was a great answer. Um, and this is a slightly related question.
1: I'm interested in the relationship between your music and your theatre making and yourself as an activist for social justice. I know you've been involved in the Labour Party and Young Labour and also you've held the position of anti-elitism officer at your student theatre. And in your early music, there's sort of plenty of political threads and your recent play Twice Over. And I'm wondering to what extent your, your art and your politics combine for you.
2: Yeah, I suppose it comes down to how I view uh social inequality um within society and also identity. Um yeah. so I suppose with uh social inequality and art, art is just is always presented itself as such a accessible and viable medium to to for protest essentially whether that be in like a very like minimalistic form as in you write something about the structure in society that you think is wrong and then i just Mm. sing it um i mean it's not much of a protest but it's still a personal little protest about something an inequality that exists um so i think art in whatever form music theater film um other non traditional formats as well um is such an obvious way to talk about um that which isn't right, I suppose yeah um so very basically on that level that's sort of why i have like felt the need to link the two because they are inherently linked um yeah. whenever I write um the other side of it is is identity, and with I think it's hard to distinguish between like identity politics um and all the pros and cons of all of that. And then using your identity to fuel something like your art. Because I think mm-hmm. using your identity to fuel your art is so hard not to do. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think it's a bad thing. So, for instance, when writing twice over, that was like a big, that was a big change for me in how I perceive myself within the world. Um mm-hmm. Because be before writing that play, and I suppose coming to university, I'd never really considered what my I've never really considered um engaging in conversations on class or um socioeconomic inequalities. Um because I, I just I kind of didn't feel like I was in a situation where I needed to do that. Um mm-hmm. but I think once I got to university and and wrote and co-wrote twice over with Jane, it was like, I am naturally writing about my family, my family history, and also potentially experiences of classism at Edinburgh Uni. So okay. it's kind of like, what's going on? <laughs> I, like, Let's maybe think about this a little bit more than I am and confront it a little bit. Um, so, and this has cropped up in my songs, like earlier than I've maybe thought. Um, but just just thinking about, like where I've come from, what I come from, um, what my what my family history is. I like, s literally speaking to my grandma and my nana when who I when I wrote twice over it was based off conversations with my grandma, my nana and my mum. Um and bits of verbatim from them. The name itself came from my mum saying, I've um like worked in self employment now and I've been my own boss twice over. Mm. so we literally stole that from her with (laughs) that informed consent of course um (laughs) um, so that was just an eye-opener because it really I learned a lot about myself and because so much of who you are is to do with the people you're surrounded by I suppose um and because art isn't sort of inherently reflective of Everything that is is around you as well. Certainly, my art is. It all it all just naturally came together, and I think there's a lot to be said about fixation on identity politics, specifically within things like the labor movement. Um, I have been involved, very involved, over the past year, but I'm kind of distancing myself from it now because I think I genuinely think there is um, more complexity to the world than partisan politics. And maybe more to offer that I can offer individually, specifically within community based activism, than aligning myself with a version of something that I might not necessarily always agree with. Um, but identity politics is also necessary to some degree when there is a part of you that doesn't fit with the world, and that is, other the um, sort of a, a white middle class um westernized concept of the world if you don't yeah. fit that in some way um yeah. then I don't know that then it's it's gonna be part of you 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 can't necessarily yeah. shy away from that um so yeah I guess that's just been intertwined in my sort of music and activism and in the fields that I want to work in are grassroots and community-based I hope um mm-hmm so yeah it it all connects together and then definitely not separate things and I'm even trying to combine them within like my academic studies now um like I'm I'm doing a little project at the minute about social inequality and arts participation at the uni of Edinburgh um and it's been so interesting um to look at and it's yeah it's, it's especially within something like academia and a higher educational institution and an elitist institution like edinburgh it's like how do i how does my identity fit into all of this i'm part of a group called tackling elitism um and it exists as a um for anyone who is like first income not first income first generation low income uh, working class um an estranged student a care experienced um and also has intersections with um BAME identities and also um disabled people. So like we we do a lot of work with like the widened participation strategy within uni, um, not just with access but also retainment and how our experiences are shaped at uni. Um even by just working with that group and listening to so many different experiences, I've learned even more <laughs> that's sort of how my identity fits into uni. Um And how much I want to challenge that within, like, sort of the academic resources that I have available Mm -hmm. to me. So yeah, it's it's within everything, all of it. Yeah. Hope that wasn't Um, just a ramble. No, no, no. That all made a lot of sense. It all made a lot of sense. There are
1: a few questions that I ask all of my interviewees. The first one is, can you tell me about an artist who's made an impression on your work?
2: I suppose this is like it's very personal, but probably I could go from really stereotypical. (laughs) um mainstream singer songwriters but I think um a woman called Beth Nielsen Chapman who is um a singer songwriter based in Nashville um she -hmm. was probably she when I was 13 I got the the chance to attend an open songwriting workshop because she came a Gateshead um and my mom saw the ad I think in the culture magazine or something like that and my mum was always so good at keeping an keeping an eye on any sort of opportunities or little schemes that popped up. Um yes. and I sent in a song which was about World War Two, which is um all about writing home. And it got picked up by Beth, and I got the chance to work with her and play at a concert. And
0: oh, her
2: advice was literally just like never stop writing. Um and like ra- like sort of writing is your power, essentially. Yeah and I think if someone hadn't someone like her hadn't placed such an emphasis on writing mm. I could have very easily I don't know maybe gone down the more performing route or mm-hmm. um just the more academic route without trying to integrate art and <laughs> social justice into it as much as I am currently um but just by her saying that I think she made such an impression on like writing is is what like I've maybe got to to bring to anything i'm involved in that is sort of my thing so she she probably has influenced nearly everything that i'm currently doing alongside lots of other people but she she was the first one to definitely make a point of that yeah you have
1: sort of answered my next question but the question is what impression do you want your art to make on the world
2: i'd probably say very basically for for anyone who was involved in working with me or listened to something that I'd written, read something that I'd that I'd wrote, um, just that that it's okay to be heard like mm-hmm. that, because um, I think that's what writing and art, music, like gave to me, like like literally just a, a chance to say what I wanted to say and to to feel what I wanted to feel. So just that that it's okay to be heard however quietly or however loudly that you want to be heard. Yeah,
1: Lovely. And can you tell me about a piece of art that you would like everyone to encounter? You think it would make the world a better place or help people understand something?
2: Yeah, so I had a a really big think about this when you sent this question through, (laughs) because there are so many that I could, I don't know, that I could talk about. But I think one which I think summarises everything that I think is important in the world, um, especially on this sort of concept of community and um, grassroots activism, I guess, Um, is a a piece of art um, by a, a group of people called the Masbro Elders Project. Mm -hmm. And basically over the summer, I got a chance to work with Stella Queens, which are an Edinburgh-based theatre company um, and production company. And I did some writing for them and interviewed some people. I um, wrote about this. It's uh, working with the Masbro Centre, which is in Hammersmith. And it was Mm -hmm. initially meant to be a collaboration between the Masbro Elders Project and Bush Theatre. It's called Our Place, Our Time. It was due to be staged, I think, in March, but Covid meant it couldn't go ahead. Yeah. So they worked with someone I think called Will Hudson, and another filmmaker, on making this film called, and I think it's just seven minutes long, "Our Place, Our Time," and it's it's all about the people who attend the Masbro Elders Project and what they what their interpretation of home is, and mm-hmm. um, like the four-letter word H O M E, specifically like exploring community, friendship, age. There's a beautiful bit about like degeneration of of the body mm-hmm. and. Also what home means and care home, which I think is so relevant and pertinent at the minute. Um, And I've written down some of the lines that are said in that film, um, one of which is, turn this place into my space, and they turn it into this lovely little motif. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of all about, like, home for some people is not necessarily where you're born it's not the people you grow up with it's it, it's actually just why you feel welcome um and i think one of the last lines in it is i will be accepted i will be loved and it's just the most beautiful um seven i think 7 8 minute piece um and it's it's all coming from people who are elderly um who are involved yeah. in this uh community um and people from all walks of life and it's just it's just gorgeous I just think everyone should see it um it'll soothe you it'll calm you and it'll also just I don't know it just reinforces what's important to me um and the the power of sort of grassroots based art too on given purpose given structure and given given life to to community I always uh, leave a little bit of space just to talk about anything you want to
1: recommend to listeners, anything you've been reading or listening to or watching and enjoying to share with, share with listeners.
2: Yeah, so I'll try not to bore you all with all of the reading I've been doing for my essays. Um, I don't want to say The Crown. <laughs> but happy be watching The Crown. No, but I have I have made a note of something that was really cool, which I came across a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've I've even talked to you about it, already. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. It might be it's something a bit a little bit different. Uh, for one of one of my courses, we got asked to write a very like non traditional essay, predicting a Ugh. conversation between two feminists, um, and I decided to predict a conversation between bell hooks and uh, Judith Butler. Amazing! But from from that whole. Um, assessment which was honestly the coolest thing i've had to do at uni um i read a a chapter called is paris burning which is chapter Mm -hmm. nine in a book by bell hooks called black looks race and representation and in that particular chapter she comments on a film called paris is burning which is made by jenny livingston um who's a filmmaker um and it documented the underground drag balls in late 1980s new york um And it is, it's a wonderful commentary. It's a constructive and a critical commentary. Um, But the reason why I love it is because um, just the way that Bell Hooks writes is that she prioritises accessibility and that she centres her whole work on accessibility um, because that's just like crucial to change in all the structures in society. Um, And I don't want to go on about what she writes because I don't want to discredit her work by attempting to summarise it. Because um, it's just too important to miss any of it out. Um, but it's it's very powerful and it's critical and it's really nice to read something about how people are represented, but also something that's so attached to the media and film and art. Um, and it's not it's not strictly academic in a in a traditional sense, but it's very much a critical commentary on a piece of art that may be on the surface. I would have thought was important. It is important, but mm. potentially viewed in a completely different way is, yes. um, is just much more, is, it needs to be perceived much more critically. So yeah, I don't know if that, that's just, a, it was a really, it was a really good read. Um, so for reading wise, probably that, um, um, but I will <laughs> definitely be watching the Dolly Parton Christmas musical, That's been released on Netflix. I did not know that was happening, and I'm very excited for that. Yeah, I actually can't wait. I cannot wait. And it's just even better that Dolly Parton has basically helped fund the COVID vaccine.
1: Yeah, that's so true.
2: So I think we should all watch it for that reason. I
0: love it, really.
1: Finally, before um, we bring the interview to a close, is there anything that you wish I'd asked you about, anything you want to bring up?
2: Oh, I suppose it, it would be nice to talk about, like, how, maybe how, the like, the, the whole, this whole time and period in life has affected, I don't know, creativity. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just a bit worried, <laughs> as everyone is, but a little bit worried about what stories are going to be told for the next three or f- two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what narratives are going to be given space. Um. Mm-hmm. Because I think things were i think so much is so much has changed, and I think so so many of us have woken up to what more things need to be changed as well mm-hmm. um but it's just like that momentum that such a disruptive time has maybe given given some of us how does that feed into what like wider stories can be told in terms of art more widely um like I'm just worried that like people force like self-employed freelancers being forced to leave like the profession to find alternative employment um how like grief sort of takes up so much people like the the world is essentially grieving and how that takes up so much space like like what is going what can what is reactive what comes out of that and I know there's people there's so much work being done to look at other times such as this like out of the um flu in the early 20th century um and what art came out of that but i don't know it's just causing me to think about you know what 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 projects are being put on hold and what projects are being cancelled yeah. yeah what if we lost cuz there's a, i think there's a difference and i think there there is space to shout more about that difference um because I I I don't know, I think there's some very important stories that are just not gonna see the light of day. Um yeah. because there is an opportunity for them to be platformed. So I suppose I just probably wanted to mention that. Yeah. Um but I suppose it's when when we've all got the individual energy, it's it's probably up to us to I don't know, dig deep into the resilience and find new innovative ways of ensuring that those narratives do do get told.
1: That was really interesting and really worth saying. I guess I guess we can be optimistic in that. Hopefully, as things get rebuilt, arts organisations will begin to have more time and funding to bring to new new stories. I hope.
2: Yeah, um, I'm really um, what I admire about and I hate to say like in such an ob- observationary way because I'm not directly impacted like this. That like some people are, um, but like community theatre, for example, some theatres back home. How they are continuing to adapt to different tier systems, different lockdowns, and how they're still finding ways to put on shows. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw an article the other day in a local newspaper about a production of Hansel and Gretel going on in a socially distanced tent, Um, outdoor performances (laughs) in winter. Um, Yeah. Just like big community, like uh, regional theatres coming together to try and save their pantal seasons in whatever way they can yeah. I massively I, I just I just find it so it's crucial and it's necessary in it's people's livelihoods so I don't want to romanticize it by saying oh I find it so admirable but I, I just there is something in this that that level of resilience which should be admired it shouldn't be necessary but mm. should be admired um and just I just hope like, regional theatres and regional, like, arts-based organisations are just centred more on the conversation Mm. going forward after this. Yeah. Because they they are the heartbeat. Even, like, when everything sort of went quiet and everything had to go online, they were the first to sort of adapt. So... They have to be the centre. Definitely. On, so the London centricity of
1: theatre is such a shame because regional theatres are so crucial and also such a resource for sharing ideas. So
2: yeah, optimistically, it would be nice to mm. to talk about how to recenter the whole conversation mm-hmm. and prioritization of them. Yeah,
1: I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your music. I've really loved speaking to you. I'm looking forward to seeing where you're going and I'm excited to hear your new uh, EP. Thank you. We'll keep an eye out for it in the new year.
2: (laughs) Thank you
0: so much.